Hey everyone, this is your host, EJ Lawless, host of HR Tech Go to Market, the most popular podcast on how HR Tech, Future of Work, Dow Tooling, and Automation Companies Go to Market. In this episode of One of Two, we go deep into Dallas with Joshua Lapidus, Executive Steward of Community at Opolis. We cover ETH Denver, we cover the legal frameworks of Dallas, and we cover the very unique ways in which Joshua Lapidus did Dow to Dow sales. Thank you all for listening to this episode. If you want to reach out to me, feel free. My Twitter is elawless. Thanks again. So how so? Eat Denver. Everyone got COVID. Yes. What was uh, it? That's not the highlight. That's not the highlight. I, I didn't think so. I but like what I was say is like, <laughs> what was ETH Denver like? So ETH Denver was unlike any crypto conference I've ever been to. I think that's primarily been to. Like what? Like what's the frame of reference? Because if I went, it'd be my first one. I'm assuming you've been to more than one. Uh, yeah, I've been to maybe about a nine or ten now. Nice. None before, actually, only only two before the pandemic started. So I'm relatively new to the space. Which, when I say to people, they're like, "I just joined a few months ago." You're an OG, and it, it's always uncomfortable when people refer to me that way because I'm like, I'm not. I don't feel like one. I think it's mm. cycled mentality. So I'm I'm two cycles old. Whereas these people are in their first cycle. And so I oh, think that's maybe where it comes from. We move a mile a minute. Yeah, totally. But the thing I was going to say, I think that it's unlike any other conference because it's not, we try not to call it a conference. It's like an unconference. I remember um, And that's because it's a hackathon plus a, a music and art festival plus the conference a- aspect of like a, you've got sponsors and then they've got tables and they give away swag and, and they're trying to, but, but unlike, other conferences, it's more about hiring and and meeting developers and then getting the developers to hack on their bounties. So because it's a hackathon conference, the sponsors are more focused on trying to get people to build using their protocols and build using their tooling. So you go into the conference as a developer, you hack, and then you get paid in a governance token of whatever project you're working on? I think most of the bounties are actually paid in cash. Okay. You just get like, yeah, we, we, I don't think we took US native dollar. tokens for the bounties. But when I say cash, I mean like ETH and USDC. Okay. USDC. Got it. Right. <laughs> Not, that, that, I actually don't know if it's US dollars. I, I do, I do know that some of our sponsors paid in US dollars. So the bounties could have been paid out in that. But I know a lot of them paid from their multi sigs to our multi sig via ETH or mm. stable coins. Okay. So someone goes to this conference it's a mixed bag. and they basically get paid in ETH. And so they come out net ahead. Like they're, they're making money. Uh, yeah. And the conference is free. So I guess it depends on how much they spent on flights and hotels. But like during the conference, food is free. Uh, if you know where to look, drinks are free. Coffee's free. Everything's everything's free. There's so many snacks. So we, we try to make it as as low a barrier as possible to people. A lot of the people who come into this are students and Web2 employees. So they'll work at probably not necessarily FANG companies, but a lot of you know Fortune 500, uh, Silicon Valley uh, desk jockeys who hate what they're hacking on because it's boring. And they'll come and try to learn. And then they'll listen to some talks. They'll hear a neat thing. They'll get pitched by somebody that says, Hey, you should do, you should build something for my protocol. We've got this bounty. 
So then they'll find another, they'll find a team with, you know, uh, up to four people on a team and then they'll, they'll, they'll hack and they'll submit and they'll present and the top 30 get to present. And almost everybody in the top 30, I think walks away with at least a little bit of money. Nice. This model is not particularly as sustainable for getting people to quit their jobs because these, these guys and some women, but mostly guys, we're trying to increase the number of women, obviously, and we, we, we've been working hard at trying to do that. But mostly guys will come out, they'll hack, they'll win like 5, 10, 15, 20 grand, and it's not enough to quit your job. And so as part of Eat Denver, we've actually just launched this thing called Buffacorn Ventures, which is a kind of decentralized VC. We, we're kind of talking about it as if it's like the decentralized Y Combinator, the goal of which is to fund these hackathon projects that we think are really cool and and have a potential to become something big but when you win 20 grand it's not enough to like leave your job with salary and benefits and so what we're trying to do is give them six months to a year of runway say you know do quit your job and actually build the thing that we think is cool enough that you you actually won some hackathon prizes and so incubate their startup and get them ready for a seed round basically and we just launched that this year and we seeded it with five million dollars and so that's the first awesome. round of investments is going to be going out here in the next week or so. That, that's great. And so that was Buffcorn Ventures. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. And is that, is, is that through Opolis? Is that another structure? Like where is the five? So million? it's, so this actually is a good lead in. The structure uh, we use in this ecosystem. And by this ecosystem, I mean like the Opolis Eat Denver, a Colorado cooperative. This is the LCA limited cooperative association. And ETH Denver is actually a sub-DAO of a Colorado cooperative, SporkDAO. And one of the co-sub-DAOs with ETH Denver is Buffcorn Ventures. So these are all what in the Web2 world you'd just refer to as a subsidiary. So they're, they're subsidiaries of SporkDAO, and SporkDAO is a limited cooperative association. Okay. A co-op. Okay. A co-op. So Colorado has cooperatives as a legal structure for entities. Uh-huh. And yeah, then, and you don't actually have to be in Colorado to use an LCA. The, they're referred to as the as the Delaware of co-ops. The Delaware of co-ops. That's great. Okay. And then some of these cooperatives choose to exist as DAOs or all LCAs exist as DAOs? That is a really good question that gets to the heart of like, what is a DAO? And I would actually say that with or without them self-designating it, I would say that a, co- a cooperative is a DAO. A cooperative is a DAO. So yeah, with a typical LLC, you know, you go in, you'll form it, you'll like sort of put who are the officers forming it. When you're yes. filling out the LCA, what is some of the information that actually goes on that? Uh, good question. It is I- very similar in incorporation, but it's not about uh, like, so LLCs have to have a hundred percent membership ownership, right? So you'll have like, let's say there's two founders and they own, you know, 50% each and that goes into the operating agreement and that's how it's incorporated. Uh, Cooperatives have a little bit of a more flexible structure. And obviously I say this as not a lawyer. So the, the, the very talented lawyers, Yev and, and Jackie, who who helped form this, would be able to answer these questions way better than I would. But I'm going give to it, give it my best and hope that they're not rolling their eyes. The, the cooperative structure is significantly more flexible in the types of membership. So you can have, uh, which, w- speaking to the Opolis Employment Commons specifically, we have employee members, we have coalition members, 
You can also have a class that is like an investor class. So you can have investor members. And the fact that there are different types of membership in cooperatives is already incredibly more Certainly flexible. Flexible, yeah. Yeah, than, a, than a, just an LLC. And the, the ability to take on different membership classes that have to do with like contributing, like participating in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So like uh, you can, it's, it's like one member or one share, but you can also earn more shares, whether that's voting or non-voting via patronage. So it's like using a thing. So for example, like REI, I think the, the longer an employee is a member, the more shares in the co-op they have, the more money you spend as a customer, the more shares you're going to earn. And these are shares of a co-op rather than like stock shares. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So th- I think I said LLC and I probably should have used partnership because partnership maybe has limited partners and general partners who have different liability. And that sounds more like the basis for this. of Yeah. And, and there's a good... There's a good legal warning to throw in here, and that's when you participate in DAOs without a legal framework, you're essentially acting as a general partnership because that's what Ooh. that's what it defaults to. So right, and so when you're contributing to a DAO, it's just yourself, and there's no operating agreement and and things like set up, and there's no institutionalization or where like you're you formed a legal entity, you're, you're exposing your entire life to the risks of a DAO. Whereas if you wrap yourself in an LLC and you contribute to a DAO from an LLC, you have that limited liability shield. Okay. All right. Let me, let me, so maybe there's two different (laughs) cases I'm thinking about here. So there's me as an individual, maybe I'm going in and I'm looking at some site, build space layer three that sort of like allows me to find bounties and do work. And I contribute that way. If I do that as an individual, I am then seen as a general partner unless there is some specific agreement within how whatever. So I think there's a. I think there's a caveat in the way you des- describe that. In that, it sounds like you framed yourself as a freelancer mm. who is maybe not earning DAO shares, but you're just being paid for your work. Mm. In which case, you could make the argument that you're not a member of the DAO. Got it. Okay. Um, so if I become so like, part of like the core yeah. membership of the DAO, and there's another way that tax- yeah, where you've got like voting, you've got voting shares and you're participating in the DAO. Like, yeah, you're engaging in a general partnership. Okay. This is maybe trickier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, this is like down a very specific rabbit hole that we don't, I don't usually yeah, talk about, yeah. but, but the part, the point of it is to scare people a little bit into like the complexities of trying to operate in a web three world with web two rules. And it, it can be dangerous if you don't really know what you're looking for. And and I this this is what I've been told because obviously I'm not a lawyer or an accountant. I can't give financial advice. But one of the things that like people should be cognizant of is that like just because you think the rules don't or the laws don't apply to you doesn't mean that they don't. And so it's like, yeah, okay, I, I contribute to this DAO that's not based in America. It's like, but you still live in America. And so an argument could and probably will be made by regulators that you're operating this thing in, in America. And that, like there are just certain things that you could do now to protect yourself, like wrapping yourself in an LLC and being a little bit more professionalized with how you, you earn your freelancer income. So, so you would potentially recommend people who are contributing members to DAOs to go and certainly get legal advice. I'm just going to say that from an yeah. actual lawyer. But then yes, definitely at- talk to a real lawyer. <laughs> look at wrapping themselves in an LLC 
and then treating this as a freelance income. Now, if they're doing that and they are freelancing with DAOs, how do they get health insurance, payroll, or other benefits? I'm glad you asked. So Opolis is a member-owned digital employment cooperative that helps these 1099 contractors, freelancers, creators, NFT artists, uh, even Web2 stuff like real estate agents, lawyers, doctors, uh, access high-quality group rate employment benefits through our employment cooperative. Um, and and to something you, you just said, I actually would recommend anybody who's earning 1099 income to do it through a company and not through themselves personally. And, and that is for the, for the, the core reason that when you are earning freelancer income as yourself, the lines can be a little bit blurry between what is a business expense, what is a personal expense. You're paying self-employment taxes. If you want health insurance, you have to go to the exchange or you can pay for private insurance. Both of these are these are all very expensive options. And so what we've done with the Opolis Employment Commons is made it so that what we help you to form your employment vehicle. That's this LLC that elects S-Corp. Um, and the reason you elect S-Corp is because when you are the owner of an LLC, you can't be the employee of it. It's just considered a pass-through. So by electing S or C or B Corp, but most commonly S Corp, you can actually become an employee of your entity. And then what we do from there is we kind of serve as like this PEO, a decentralized PEO, and that's a, ask about a that. yeah, professional exactly. employer organization. So we kind of substitute, we, we've replicated the employment process while allowing you to work for yourself. So we process your payroll as part of this paycheck. We do the tax deduction, Social Security, Medicare, workers' comp, employment, all of these funds that self-employed people don't pay into, which is why the government loves it because they're like, wow, all these funds are getting getting filled. And then you're able to contribute to a 401k and you're able to access our health, dental, vision. And then your income, does it look like W-2 income? And I'm really thinking here for mortgages and and financing. Yeah, this is a that's a, a great follow-up question. So uh, it looks as an expense to your LLC. So let's say you're making 100 grand, you've got like five or six different clients who pay you throughout the year. All of it's funneling into your LLC. That's 1099 income. Uh, what we're doing is we're invoicing your LLC for your paycheck and you tell us what you want that paycheck to be. And so your LLC is getting an expenditure. So it's like 100,000 in, 100,000 out you're now paying $0 in corporate taxes because you don't have any profits. And what we're doing with your income as part of this paycheck invoice process is we're going to W-2 you from the employment commons. So instead of paying self-employment taxes, you're paying zero corporate taxes and you're availing yourself over the full income tax brackets. Interesting. Mm -hmm. This is maybe going to go down like a tax rabbit hole and we can say consult a CPA, but some of the business expenses as a or some of the tax shields that I might get as a business owner, do those pass through? How does that work? And if it's too in the weeds, we can we can just skip. That might be a little too in the weeds. Fair enough. Uh, the, the business expenses, well, I, one of the things I like about our setup is that you no longer have this like, is it a business expense? Is it not a business expense? And then having to justify this reconciliation from your personal accounts because you've got your business accounts and if you, it's a business expense, put it on your business credit card. It just comes right off the top in that business account. And so you as a person from your personal account shouldn't be spending any business money until after 
it has passed through our payroll process, in which case now it's just personal money, which is pretty stabilizing for freelancers because freelancers, artists, we have this, there's this mentality of like starving, the starving artist caricature. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we kind of make it so that it's, it's like, instead of starving, it's a three square meals thing where like you don't treat your, your bank account as a piggy bank anymore. Where you're like, oh, I'll borrow from my business. I'll put it back later. Or sure, this lunch, because I talked to somebody about my art, this is now a business lunch. Um, You don't really have to play those games anymore because business money stays in your business account. Personal money is in your personal account after being processed. So it provides good financial discipline too, it sounds like. Yeah, that was my favorite part. (laughs) Oh, nice. Because I'm not good at at that stuff. So were you using Opolis before you became the executive steward of community? Yes, I was. I was actually employee member number one. I, I have invoice number one and like invoice number five, which someday maybe those will be NFT'd and be worth something. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I was. So my backstory kind of entrance into crypto web three was I was working at Lyft in driver growth and user acquisition. And sometimes I like to joke that it's like it was competitive intelligence. And I was I started trading on Coinbase and started getting into tokens. And I met this guy, Tommy, who was running Chaser and he was building a decentralized rideshare. And the first thing I was like, bro, that's not going to work. He's like, no, you should like come learn about it. And so I, I went and learned and ended up writing a white paper. It ended up kind of being a white paper on why decentralized rideshare doesn't work. And it's for a lot of the reasons that rideshare doesn't work. And I mean, they're a loss leader, but these guys lose so much money uh, subsidizing both ends of the ride and we don't have to get all into in a ride share but um decentralized ride share is further away than we than we think it is okay. uh, not, not anytime soon is what you're saying professional no. prognostication yeah i think that well i guess we can get into that a little bit i do think that automation helps and ride share is only profitable if you can cut out the driver which is not okay. particularly humane because they literally built the entire ecosystem on the backs of underpaying drivers but that's that's how it'll be. It'll, I think it'll the, literally be self-driving Teslas that like are just arrive when you call one. All right. So if you make it to San Francisco, we will take one mm-hmm. of the crew's self-driving taxis. I haven't done it yet, but they are operating in the city. I've heard, I've heard that that I was almost part of a program in Phoenix and Chandler where where Waymo was doing was doing their testing, and then um, self-driving Ubers have been on the road in Pittsburgh for many years. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Really um, know. Yes, but the decentralized version without a centralized corp corporation trying to suck all the profits out of local economies that's not going to be it's going to take us a while to get to that kind of scale but so i took a a consensus academy course to try to learn more about web3 because i was writing this white paper and it was very clear that i didn't understand web3 or crypto or tokenomics or anything and i took this class and by this time lyft was like yeah you guys can't be on our cap on our on our our books for the IPO, even though our department literally got them IPO ready. And so they're like, you can find another job at the company or, you know, fuck off. And they, I, I was offered a job for 105,000 sitting on a desk in San Francisco. And I was like, that sounds like a very expensive relocation for a very boring job to not have a, what I've, what I've been told is poverty wages in San Francisco. And so at that, I was in talks with some friends from consensus who were like, Hey, don't do that. You should come here. We're hiring. And uh, the rest is history. I guess I, I ended up a consensus then got 
let go from consensus because consensus does this thing where it, it hires too many people and then they try to raise money and it's like, your burn rate's too high. So then they fire a bunch of people. And I think they've been through like three or four of these great cullings. <laughs> I was part of the great calling of February 2020, went to Eat Denver to find a job. So, so right uh, as the pandemic was hitting, is that what you're right saying? Right as the pandemic was hitting. I didn't find a job at the place, but I made a lot of really good contacts. So I come home. My wife's like, you know that we have to pay a mortgage, right? So you should probably do something. And I, before Lyft, had a career in democratic politics. And so it was very easy for me to come back and be like, uh, okay, well, rather than lose my house, I will unretire from politics. And and I, I worked for a, a friend who was running for Congress. And they were going to set up a paycheck thing for me. And I was like, no, I heard about this thing at 8th Denver. We should use this instead. So this brand uh, we'll new thing. To there. Yeah. Brand so, new. You saw it in 8th Denver. And you're like, I'm going to try it out. Yeah. And so I did. I, I joined as an employee member of the Commons. I was trying to avoid paying Cobra because they wanted like $2,400 a month for, for insurance. And I was like, that's unreasonable. So I, I joined the Commons and was able to get my health care through Opolis. I ended up on a meeting with John Paller, the founder, who's also the founder of Eat Denver. And I was like, hey, I would like to do referrals because this is a great project. And he was like, well, it's free. So I can't really give you a commission, but like, if you'd like to be an advisor, I can give you a little bit of equity and then you can work for tokens that don't exist yet. And I was like, uh, cool. Yeah, that actually sounds like fun. So I started making referrals and- Is this the um, work token or is this a different token? No, it's the work token. Okay. What, what is now the work token? Then it was just a figment in, the, in, in all of our eyes. But then the pandemic got worse and the government issued PPP funds and they were like, uh, hey, we have- some money to like pay you. Would you like to work full time here? And my campaign had just ended because our candidate unfortunately lost his primary. I was like, well, this times perfectly. So I converted from being the first employee member to being one of just the early employees. And so as I understood that connection, the PPP loans enabled Opolis mm-hmm. to actually hire you. Was that the, the right connection there? Yeah, that is the correct correction. Sorry, connection. There are certain government programs that are just outstanding and would highly recommend that they continue to do while things are kind of shut down. And PPP is definitely one of them that they were able to afford, not particularly my desired salary, but at least paying my mortgage (laughs) because of those. Yeah, it was like I started at like 40 grand a year, which not then, you know, at the time I'm like, damn, I should have taken that $105,000 desk job. San Francisco is um, expensive. So no, no, no. I know that that was a joke. I a hundred percent do not regret that decision at all, and am incredibly thankful to have like gone full time Web three and like embedded in DAOs and like do work for these DAOs. And the space is incredible. How many DAOs are you a part of? Would you say? So this is a difficult question, and it all this is like the Bill Clinton depends on what the definition of is is. Um, now is, but all right, we'll go with is is. Yeah. So like, if you are referring very specifically to like a Moloch DAO, there are hundreds. I'm I'm in a lot of them. If you if it's the more broad definition where people are like, oh, it's a friend group with a bank account, like Ethereum is theoretically considered a DAO. Let, let's um, back up real quick. What was the word you used to modify DAO? Was it a Moloch DAO? Is that how, oh how you- yeah? So Moloch M O L O C H is a a biblical character who is known for sacrificing babies. Uh, we refer to him as the god of chaos or the god of disorganization. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of this big demon, like the final boss from a video game. Mm-hmm. The 
the thing that we're all working toward fighting. Moloch Slayers is a nickname for the developers in our space, uh, which is better than the like super, you know, secret shadowy coder, whatever Senator Warren said. Shadowy super coders. That's what it was. Yeah. So Moloch is this like evil entity kind of visualized as the devil who sows chaos. And our goal is to coordinate. And so the founder of it really liked the meme. This is from Meditations of Moloch and named the code base. That is this framework for a DAO, Moloch. All right. I did not know any of that. Thank you mm-hmm. for the history. It's okay. Most people don't. And that's because we refer to things like Constitution DAO as DAOs, and it's not. It's a it's a Discord with a token permission chat, that, and, and there's a token. But people don't have any control over who is on the multisig or replacing people on the multi-sig. And so things like this, this that are most popularly known as DAOs by like a random person that you'd find off the street uh, are not real DAOs. But I would say if, you know, to answer the question uncoily, I'd say I'm probably a core contributor or at least a, a participating member of maybe like 15 to 20 DAOs. Interesting. Okay. And does that mean that you get compensated for those DAOs or you're just in some way contributing? Oh, absolutely not. So they're okay. So for a while, and this is actually really interesting. My first job when I, when I was, when I was at Opolis, my first job was to help set up meetings for John. And it wasn't particularly difficult because when you call, when, like when you send somebody a message and you're like, Hey, would you like to spend 30 minutes talking to the founder of Eat Denver about how you might be able to get healthcare? Almost nobody says no to that. Exactly. One person said no to that. And how many people did you try to meet up with? I like. I want to put this a ratio. Is this one out of ten? One out of hundred? One out of thousand? That I would try to meet with? Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious in terms of you know, because one of the things I think about just purely from like a go to market perspective is like what messages work, and obviously yeah. having you know someone well known, respected, and then offering something of value is. So I'm just kind of curious that like one person said no to. How many did you reach out to? No, one out of. Uh, how many did I talk to? Maybe four to five hundred over the course of that's that's a pretty good rate. <laughs> yeah, right. I also when I was at Consensus doing BD, I also only had one person say no to me. So it could be that I just have that kind of face where it's like, sure, I'll spend fifteen to thirty minutes talking to you. There you go. <laughs> I, I do attribute it more to like John being interesting and ETH Denver being one of the cultural hubs of the ecosystem. And so, like when I say, yeah, I'm a steward of ETH Denver it guarantees me like a five to 10 minute conversation about anything I want, um, which is, it's a, it's a nice powerful tool to like help make connections in the space because it's interesting. And I try to not ever use that for like personal gain, but for the benefit of the communities that I'm trying to serve. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So reaching out, getting people involved, like letting people yeah. know about oh, what yes. is possible. So and this then- was the, this was the very interesting, this was the very interesting thing. My first job was setting up these calls, but I didn't have any reputation. And so when it was more about when it when it shifted from setting up calls for John to setting up calls for me, people were like they would have been like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I don't know who you are. Right. So to avoid that situation, I had to start building reputation. And so my job, I was paid by Opolis to go into DAOs and do work for DAOs. Sometimes compensated, sometimes not compensated. But what you do is you just show up and you say, I'm here to help. And they say, what are your skills? And you go X, Y, and Z. And they're like, oh, well, you can take Y skill and help out on this project. And that's 
how I ended up getting involved in Meta Cartel and Raid Guild and Dow House and Meta Factory. I would say and Bankless Dow. I would say those are like the five core ones that I I spend time like going to the community calls and and still consider myself as as a as a member, but I don't take any compensation from from any of those. So, so that is a very interesting way. I mean, I know you come from a user acquisition background. It's a very interesting way to get involved. So you yeah. build up a reputation by actually contributing to what these DAOs are doing. And then once mm-hmm. you've developed some enough reputation, you're like, hey, by the way, we can all get health insurance. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. basically. I mean, because you're, you're on these projects, you're in these trenches with people, and then you become friends. And eventually it's like, oh, well, so what do you do outside of this? Oh, I'm the membership steward at Opolis. Uh, what's that? It's the way that we in the Web3 space can access health insurance, process payroll. One of the key factors, and healthcare wasn't the key for some of these folks, it was actually the off-ramp. So a lot of these folks, like the only way in the US to to get your money out of DAOs into paying a credit card bill is converting it to a stable coin or trading it to a stable coin inside of like Kraken or Coinbase or Gemini. And then transferring it to your bank account, waiting the three to seven days, depending on which exchange, and then being able to pay your credit card bill. And so what we do is we take the the DAI or USDC or USDT or RIDE that they earn directly, process it as payroll, and then they get a chunk of it, a chunk of it on the first and third Friday of each month that's, so, that's so you, pay, as a paycheck. You deposit it in their bank account as dollars. And they yeah. get it the first. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then they can obviously pay any sort of expenses that one would normally pay, credit card bills, mortgage, food, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, and you mentioned mortgage earlier. So as part of this W-2 process, we've actually helped at least five that I know of. And I know there are a few more that I just haven't confirmed. So I would say like up to 10 probably right now mortgages that our setup has helped uh, our members attain. Because instead of saying, uh, yeah, I'm a freelancer who works for Magic Internet Money in this magic internet community, you say, I'm a software developer for cooperative. And then the bank's like, oh, okay, here's your mortgage, sir. That's great. Or or (laughs) ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great that you're bridging the divide there and helping people get into housing, especially when it's so difficult right now. Do you think that the method that you use to get in touch with these DAOs, do you think that's replicable today? Or do you think that that was an opportunity that existed and it's just probably too hard to recreate if someone else is trying to, you know, sell something into DAOs or DAO members? I do think it's it's recreatable. It may not be in the specific DAOs that I did it in, but there are brand new DAOs popping up every day who need new contributors. So like the way I take that question to mean is that like if you're new to the space, you've got skills in business development or community management, you can literally show up in a Discord and say, Hi, this is me, I'd like to help. And I'd be shocked if at least three different people didn't reach out to you to say, Here, this is how we'd like to plug you in. Interesting. Do you, one of the things I've wondered about, and I don't know if you see this, is that I haven't really seen recruiters hop into Discord. Do you see recruiters in Discord trying to recruit for different projects? Uh, Not as much. A lot of it's still on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be very hard to recruit from a DAO because, well, one, there's a trust element. So unless you've spent you know, a, a year or two working in a DAO and then you get a job as a recruiter and you're using your friendships. I don't think it's likely because the the demand for developers is so high 
or not even just developers, the people who are competent in Web3. I get LinkedIn requests to like do like just DAO consulting all the time. The the because the demand is so high and the supply is so low, it's unlikely that people are just going to like leave their friends because a random person shows up and says, "Here, I've got a job with this protocol you've never heard of, offering maybe a competitive wage." The it's not particularly worth it, or a, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder how like LinkedIn seems like it has low success rates, and I've seen just more of a migration to Twitter and to Discord, and I was just wondering if. If you're seeing that recruiter activity, a a lot of it happens on Twitter. There's a, there's a famous, I don't know if he's famous, but in our space, there's a reputable person named Mike Damaris, who's the head of rainbow, who's literally his, like he has, I'm hiring.eth. And so like they put in their Twitter bios that like they're hiring and and they'll, they'll go on these campaigns. A lot of DAOs do it where like the CEO or, well, actually if you, if your DAO has a CEO, you're not a DAO, but a like these web three leaders will put I'm hiring in, in their bio or tweets. And like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of recruitment happens that way. Before we run out of time, I would love to hear more about the work token. So the work token you sure. earn for participating, like making, getting paid through Opolis. You yeah. can get some type of reward through their work token, but only if you're an actual member and you can't buy the work token in a secondary market. Is that, is that all correct? Not all of it, but Not some all. of it. All right, let's, let's so, correct it. Uh, okay, so you can buy the work token on the secondary market. Um, there's a liquidity pool on the Polygon network on Sushi. It's a work USDC pool. You, th- buying that token on the secondary market, if you're not a member, is purely speculative because you need to be a member of the co-op to be able to engage in the f- inevitable profit sharing or any of the staking. So uh, when we grow, we, our tokenomics are a little interesting. Uh, we started with 315 million. Every time we grow by t- well, at that point, 50,000 in payroll volume, 5 million work tokens were minted. Now it's uh, when we grow by 10%. So if our last epoch was 1 million, when we hit 1.1 million, 5 million tokens will get minted. 30% of those or 1.5 million go to the employee members who run their payroll pro rata for anybody who ran payroll between 1 million and 1.1 million. 30% go to the referrer of that employee member. So let's say somebody joins Opolis because of hearing this podcast, you're going to earn this referral credit. So let's say they have a salary of 100,000 that they run. They're going to earn about 100,000 work tokens in the year just because of the way it works out. It's not one-to-one. It's just a coincidence. If they earn 100,000 work, you're also going to earn 100,000 work, which you, as a, like, you could, you know, send a distribution to any of your listeners who want to is like, we're part of a community, or you could, I don't know, you can use it for giveaways or whatever you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20% goes into a staking contract where anybody who's staked during that epoch will share in a pro rata amount. So if 20 million are staked and you stake 20,000, that's 1%. So you're going to earn 1% of the 1 million. So that's 10,000 tokens. Hopefully that math was correct. I just made it up. <laughs> and 10% go to the Apple's treasury, 10% go to the employment commons treasury. Um, when there are profits to distribute, similar to REI, those profits will be distributed 
or could be distributed, it'll depend on on what the work holders, voters want to do with it. Our hypothesis is that they'll want to distribute it as a rebate back to the work holders. So if you are staking work, you'll earn a pro rata amount of whatever profits there are to distribute. Those theoretically, the employee members could vote to further subsidize healthcare premiums. And so some of those profits would go into just making the premiums lower. There are a lot of different things that they can do. And I think one of the notes that we had here was, how is voting handled? Voting right now is done by a board of stewards. And this actually goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with how LLCs are structured and ownership. Cooperatives have a board of stewards. And the board of stewards were uh, were hand-selected from the beginning for expertise in various things to do with cooperatives and DAO frameworks and tokenomics, who were members of the cooperative. All but one of our our board of stewards members is an active member, and the one who isn't helped design the tokenomics. This Eric Arsenal, and he's a he's a Canadian actually. And so when we when we go to Canada, he'll be Canadian employee member number one. And a board of the board of stewards makes these decisions on behalf of the commons. When and this is per the to, per the white paper or the off white paper. When we have one thousand members, which based off of our current growth should happen by the end of the year or a little bit before the end of the year. Um, actually, a lot before the end of the year. Uh, the like voting. Tomorrow. Yeah. No, I don't know about tomorrow. Um, yeah, soon, sooner than the end of the year. We're at like we're at like three hundred right now, so we keep growing by twenty percent. I'm not a math person, but definitely before the end of the year. Because my goal is, we started the year with 250. My goal is to end the year with 2,500 so we can do another 10x because we 10x our membership last year. I'd nice. like to 10x our membership again this year. I think those are fun growth trajectories. When we have 1,000 members, the voting will turn over to the employee members based off of, of work. So the goal of this voting to be that people who are not members of the co-op can't just use the tokens that they bought to influence the cooperative. So for example, we could make a lot of money by jacking up the premiums to be on par with how much it costs in the private markets. But the goal is not to make money. The goal is to grow a global public utility. So there's no reason for us to charge an arm and a leg, and there's no reason for us to overcharge for for premiums. They're literally offered at cost. Some of them are actually subsidized. So we're offering a lower rate. If People who are not values aligned with the cooperative bought up a bunch of tokens and had the ability to vote, they could say, hey, we can make a lot more money if we jacked up these things. And employee members would be like, that sucks. There's nothing I can do about this because this other guy bought a ton of tokens. And so we've kind of protected from that tragedy. Okay. So you sort of anticipated potential negative attacks. Some hyper-capitalist person is like, I don't believe in the system. I'm going to buy up all the tokens and then just charge everyone. You protected against yeah. that. Yeah. Already thought it's, about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. To try to make sure that we can grow sustainably. And and one of the reasons we've been growing methodically like this instead of exponentially is because the goal isn't to just shove as many members into the commons as possible. The goal is to grow via word of mouth, via people who are values aligned with the goals we're trying to build. Like if your first thousand members are all, you know, governance oriented who actually think about how these things are going to scale, you're going to have a much better time. If I shoved 500 real estate agents who are just trying to save money, but don't really care about Web3 or tokenomics or anything, and they became a majority of the commons the second that we turn over governance, 
that would be probably a disaster. I was going to ask about the complexity involved, and I guess you're saying it's basically a feature. So anyone that you want as a member <laughs> at this stage, yeah, it is positive that there's so much complexity because they have to be bought in in comparison to just going to a different type of centralized PEO and just not even worrying about it. You're actually saying you want specific people, and so this... Yes and no. So I'd say it's like when you... Okay, so when you spend money on like Google ads or Facebook ads or whatever, search ads, you're going to get random people who are searching for just cheap healthcare are maybe not a perfect fit in terms of salary requirements or location. It's not that we don't want people. I would love to grow the commons with anybody who wants to join. So there's no gatekeeping. So like if a real estate agent shows up and says, I need benefits and I want to run my payroll, it's like. Hell yeah. Welcome to the club. My point was more that like we're not throwing advertising dollars at like as interpreted as like thoughtful growth at this stage. Yeah, yeah, it it is thoughtful growth. Uh, Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You effectively want thoughtful growth in the same way that if you're a company scaling your employee base, you want to be very thoughtful about your early early employees to be aware of culture. culture. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so that's extremely important in this type of organization that you have as a cooperative and where the members have control or will have control over the decisions um, are made. Absolutely. And there's a, it's a a little bit of a double-edged sword because in terms of messaging, we treat this as a like set it and forget it. Like the idea is that like running your own business is annoying. Like if you're, you're a a graphic designer, you know, we want you to spend a hundred percent of your time you know, doing your, your craft, your art and finding new, new business and not wasting your time, like trying to figure out taxes and trying to figure out, did you set up your company correctly? And am I doing this and your, your paperwork? And it's like, so we, we, the value proposition is that we're taking that burden away so that you can focus on your craft. And so it's like, here, yeah, come join the cooperative, set it and forget it. And then there's this higher level of, well, but actually, we'd love for you to participate in like user research or governance eventually when we when we start voting with the token mm-hmm. and being an active member of a community. It's very difficult for me to try to uh, so my my job now is is community building, so that involves like uh coming on shows like this and writing blog posts and connecting with DAO leaders to try to like do lunch and learn presentations such as they are because all of this is ethereal and in discord so there's no lunch and we're not in the same room (laughs) but like brown bag presentations and like trying to form these coalitions of DAOs and saying here like join our coalition when you onboard a new member send them our way we'll get them set up for you and this kind of mutually beneficial system makes it so that if somebody has employment benefits they're going to feel more stable they won't feel the need to spend more of their time you know ubering to pay the bills because they'll be able to actually focus on staying in Web3 full-time. And so nobody wants to sit around and talk about their payroll provider. So so my, my job in building community is a little bit a little bit difficult. So I'm trying to get a little bit creative with, with how we do it and, and how we keep people engaged. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it through that episode, part one of two with Josh Lopitas. Next week, we'll come out with episode two of two. Where we'll dive deep on some of the topics we didn't get to cover. Thanks for listening to HR Tech Go to Market. If you want to reach out to me, feel free to ping me on Twitter. My handle is elawless. Mm-hmm.